good to see those of you that had no place to go this weekend. And you're here. I'm glad to have you here worshiping with us today. If you are visiting with us, we're glad to have you here. Hope that you'll come back to worship with us uh, many times in the future. Uh, Penny and I have some good friends here today, Bob and Barbara Kay, sitting about halfway back. Uh, they didn't have enough of me back in the 80s over at Francis Asbury, so every now and then they have to come back for, you know, another little helping. Uh, but it's good to see y'all. Good to have everyone here <clears throat> today. I understand that this is Toby and Doris Wright's 62nd anniversary. Following quickly on the heels of yesterday, which was Toby's 92nd birthday. So uh, <clears throat> that's one way he could always remember his anniversary, you know, put it right next to his birthday. But congratulations to you both uh, on both occasions. <clears throat> I want to thank Lee Radline especially and others of you as well for all that you've done in recent days for um, Chris and Katie Warner and their children, uh, little Maggie, the cute little girl full of personality that you see around here in a wheelchair. Maggie's been in the hospital two weeks and probably after her surgery yesterday is looking at even longer uh, staying in the hospital. Um, Maggie is, is a, a, just such a sweet girl. When we got back to town toward the end of, um, well it's been about eight days ago now, I got a message that Maggie had been asking all week, where was Arthur? Where was Pastor Arthur? Doesn't he know I'm in the hospital? So um, I went as quickly as I could, and, and I told her I was sorry I had, couldn't, couldn't have come sooner. But, but the, <clears throat> the church had sent Reverend John Rush and Reverend George Strait in my place to see her, and that they were there for me. Maggie looked at me and said, well, what's going on? I said, uh, what do you mean? She said, are you about to retire and are they gonna take your place? <laughs> <clears throat> so now we know, George and John gonna take my place, I'm gonna retire. But continue praying for these good folks in a uh, uh, very difficult, difficult time in, in that young lady's life. I uh, wanna just say a brief word about our, our trip to New Jersey to deposit our daughter up there in school. Um, it was an interesting trip to New Jersey. Not only did I lose my razor blade, but also everybody up there talks just like John Jameson. <laughs> so if you've got to go to New Jersey anytime soon, spend some time with John so you'll know you can understand it. We stopped at a little town called Cranberry, New Jersey for lunch. And everybody in the place looked like and talked just like John. It was like it was like a horrible episode of the Twilight Zone. <clears throat> the owner of the place, even my waitress looked like him. <laughs> I also found it very interesting about New Jersey, John, that whenever you go into New Jersey, they let you in. But when you're driving out of New Jersey, they charge you a toll booth. You have to pay every time. Of course, everybody seems to be happy to pay to get out of New Jersey. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway. We had a good trip and missed you folks. Glad to be back with you. Let us now uh, begin our time together in worship.
affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881 of your hymnal. Let us affirm our faith in God using this historic confession of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. This time I'd like to invite the children to come forward and join me for a few moments of sharing. holiday from school tomorrow? You don't have to go to school tomorrow, do you? You haven't been going to school but two weeks and you already get a day off. <coughs> My goodness, we used to have to go to school on Labor Day when I was a child. When I was um, in school, I learned there were some things I was real good at and there were some other things I wasn't all that great. I was real good at recess and lunch and I always love to do arithmetic, or math, they may call it now. Um, I had to work a little bit harder when it came to things like history and, and reading and English, but I loved doing math. And I loved playing baseball. I wasn't quite as good at other, the other sports, but I could play baseball or softball. We had to play at school all the time. You know, that, I think that's the way it is for all of us. We have things we're good at, and there are some things we're not so good at. Some people have different talents than we have, and it's really great that it's that way. What are you really good at? What? You're really good at reading. That was always hard for me. That's good that you're good at reading. You're good at reading. I thought you were only good at going to watch Clemson play baseball. <laughs> I know you like to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have things that we're good at. Um, the reason I'm thinking about that is Jesus one day was talking with some people, and they brought some sick people to him. Um, there was one lady that came and said, "I want, I, please heal my daughter. She's sick. And somebody else came and brought a man to Jesus who couldn't hear, and he couldn't speak very clearly. And Jesus healed the lady's daughter, and he healed the man who couldn't hear. And you know what the people said about Jesus? He's good at everything he tries to do. He's a good teacher. He's a good doctor, physician. In fact, they, they nicknamed him the great physician. He's a good shepherd of us, of all the people, taking care of us all. 
Jesus just does good at everything. He's about the only person I know of who is good at everything. Hope you'll think about that sometimes when you're thinking about what you're good at and what you maybe aren't as good as as someone else is. And remember that Jesus was good at everything and he will be your good friend all of your lives. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for being our good friend and for doing everything for us so very well. Amen. In our Old Testament lesson from Proverbs chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, 8 through 9, 22 through 23. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. He who, say, who sows wickedness reaps trouble, and the rod of his fury will be destroyed. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 146 on page 858. Let us stand as we're able and share together this responsive reading. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Put not your trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help. Their breath departs, till they return to the earth. On that very day their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob. Whose hope is in the Lord their God. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Who keeps faith forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed. Who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. And upholds the widow and the orphan. But the Lord brings away the wicked to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, from generation to generation. Praise the Lord.
Our epistle reading is from the book of James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you will be doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking, it, breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Here ends the lesson.
Let's join our hearts together in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we are thankful that you do all things well. Forgive us when we doubt and question and actually come to believe at times that you're at a far distant place or we are one and that you're not thinking about us or caring about us for we certainly know that's not true we certainly know that Jesus was not able to say no to people that came to him for help but that he found a way to be helpful to everyone even at the price of his own privacy his own rest, his own enjoyment of life. Remind us, O oh Lord, how hard Jesus worked while on earth for us all. And that part of that hard work was taking upon himself the sins and shortcomings and trespasses of all people upon himself when he embraced the cross and died there in agony upon the cross. Jesus did all things well and Jesus worked hard on behalf of all of us and we're thankful for this. We acknowledge this. We come before you this day to offer you our thanks and our praise for your goodness to us and for your constant hard work for us in life now. Lord, we're not always conscious of the fact, but even when we're not praying, you're with us. 
when you're not even on our minds in any way, you're there at our side. When we feel like we're facing some trial or struggle alone, you've been working on it long before it even came our way, causing us to find strength in you and finding relief in your goodness and strength. We're thankful that Jesus does all things well for us. And though there are so many on this planet, so many of your human children now, that it's impossible for us to begin to imagine how many people there are. And yet in your eyesight, each one of us is like your only child. And we're thankful for this, for your bigness and greatness. Lord, we pray that we would be people who would bring the needy to Jesus, even as those disciples brought people in need to Jesus for healing. We pray that you would use us to carry people on the arms of our faith into your presence. And we pray especially for members of our community of faith, our church, who need your carrying strength this day, that we might offer ourselves to you as the ones who will help embrace their loads. We pray for your touch of healing upon those that, that need it and your encouragement upon those that need it. Peace upon those who are anxious. Forgiveness upon those who feel guilty. These are our prayers through Jesus Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
gospel lesson today is Mark 7, verses 24 through 37. <clears throat> Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphtha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Here ends the lesson. Preachers love sharing poems with you as part of the sermon, but this has got to be the strangest poem I've ever shared with the congregation. I hear something saying, who, ah, who, ah. Well, don't you know, that's the sound of the men working on the chain gang. That's the sound of the men working on the chain gang. Poem put to music by Sam Cooke a few years back. I used to wonder why my daddy made moans and groans and sighs when he was doing th something as simple as getting up out of bed. But now I completely understand. You ought to hear me some days getting out of the car. And if I happened to be driving Penny's little sports car, you'd think I was having a heart attack to get out of that thing. Groans and sighs are sounds of effort being made, of work being done of labor being performed. According to Mark, when Jesus was healing the deaf man with the speech impediment, he put his fingers in the man's ears, put some saliva from his own mouth on his finger, and touched the deaf man's tongue, and then he looked up toward heaven and gave a deep sigh before saying to the man, be opened. With this detail, Mark is telling us that Jesus' work took strength 
energy and labor. Jesus groaned. He sighed. That's the sound of a man working. Dr. Dr. Tom Long of Emory University's Candler School of Theology says that Mark, more than the other gospel writers, emphasizes the hard work and the energy that Jesus put into his ministry. Dr. Long says that the picture of Jesus and Mark is that of the Son of God constantly doing battle against Satan for all the things that Satan tries to inflict upon us human beings. Everything in Mark is an exorcism, says Dr. Long. In Mark's version of the stilling of the storm, Jesus speaks to the storm as if it were a demon, telling it to be still. The detail of Jesus' moaning and groaning as he prayed for the man's healing is just one more detail that Mark includes to assure us that Jesus labors on for us, that he works hard on our behalf always. The story begins when Jesus traveled up north near the city of Tyre. We are told that he went into a house and he didn't want anybody to know he was there. Doesn't it seem a bit strange to read how often Jesus seems to be trying to hide from people, to get away from them, and how he constantly played down his popularity? Again and again as we read passage after passage, we hear of Jesus trying to get away for some time alone with his disciples or alone just to pray, to teach the disciples, to rest with them. And each time his solitude is spoiled. You see, there's just no getting away from the paparazzi. It is equally interesting to me that Jesus repeatedly told people not to tell what he had done for them. In healing the deaf man, Jesus took him away from the crowd to a private place where he healed the man secretly with just a handful of people present. And then he commanded them not to tell anyone else about what he had done. Of course, they disobeyed. The more that Jesus told them to be quiet, the more they spread the news. The harder he tried to be incognito, the more people tried to find him. Mark wants us to know that Jesus was a humble man, one who did his work because of love and not for fame, fortune, or show. In fact, it was his fame that eventually got in the way of his work. He was not able to come and go as he pleased, nor could he preach and teach just anywhere he wanted to. Perhaps it is good for us to remember that one of the sacrifices that Jesus made for us was the sacrifice of any privacy in his life. He even had to leave his own home territory because of his popularity. Now the story of the healing of the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman has to be one of my favorite stories in the Bible. We're given these details about the woman. She was of Greek origin, meaning she was not a Hebrew. She was a person whose ancestors were part of that dominant Greek culture of the Mediterranean, one who spoke Greek as her native language, one who probably was a pagan who believed in those many gods of Mount Olympus. 
her daughter was very sick. Or as they said in those days, her daughter was possessed by a demon. Perhaps she suffered from epilepsy or some other seizure disorder. She begged Jesus to drive that demon out of her daughter and Jesus' response to her is absolutely fascinating. He tells the woman that he's there to tend to the children of Israel who are living in that area and that the children must eat all they want first. And then he adds that it wouldn't be right to take bread intended for children and toss it to their little puppies. Of all the politically insensitive things that Jesus could have said, that sounds like the very worst. It makes me want to invite Jesus and that woman to the White House to meet with President Obama over Southern iced tea, of course. There are many theories as to why Jesus responded to this woman the way he did. Some think that Jesus really believed that he wasn't supposed to offer God's grace to anyone except members of the Hebrew race. <coughs> and that he learned that day that God wanted his ministry to be extended to the Gentiles. I can't accept that interpretation. I think that a better interpretation is to think that Jesus really wanted to include the Gentiles, but that he needed to convince his Jewish followers that it was all right to do this, to convince them that God wanted to include these outsiders. The way that Jesus chose to do this was to speak openly to the woman some prejudicial words that exposed the way that the Hebrews felt about the Gentiles, that they were as low as dogs. His words would have so shocked his Hebrew followers that they would have had to confront their prejudices against the Gentiles, and then they would be willing for Jesus to help this outsider. Still another interpretation is that Jesus was testing the depth of this woman's faith and the depth of her love for her daughter. So that when she responded in faith saying, even puppies get to eat the crumbs under the table, Jesus knew of her faith and her tenacious love for her daughter. It does seem that Jesus was always moved by a parent who just wouldn't take no for the answer when it came to helping a child. Because that kind of love reminded Jesus of the kind of love God the Father has for us. Well, whichever interpretation is correct, it just fascinates me that Jesus used this witty little proverb to explain why he hesitated a minute before helping her. Let the children eat first, then we'll see about the puppies. The woman of faith went home to find her daughter healed, and the Hebrew followers saw that the Gentiles were loved by God, and that they too could receive good things from God through faith. Now one more politically active pastor than I am said about this passage in light of our current national debate <coughs> that perhaps this passage says that all people of all nationalities and backgrounds deserve good health care. Well, we'll see about that. <coughs> Excuse me. The setting of this passage next moves to the west a little bit to a section known as the Decapolis, a group of ten cities on the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire <clears throat> over in Jordan, which served as fortified outposts of his empire, of the empire. 
Some people brought this man to Jesus. They brought him to Jesus. It isn't clear that the man wanted to go or if he had any faith in Jesus himself. He was just carried on the faith of his friends to Jesus. Philip Carrington points out that this passage was used in the early church as a part of the baptismal ritual. As people brought this deaf man to Jesus, so parents would bring their children to the church for baptism. And as Jesus healed the deaf man by uttering the word of God, so Jesus, through the church, opens the ears of our children who are baptized through the preaching of God's word. I want to ask you, who carried you on their faith before you had any faith of your own? Your parents? Your friends? And whom are you carrying on your faith? Who will find an open door to Jesus because of your faith? People who become a part of a church family do so because someone was the door for them and they entered through that door. Someone carried them on their faith. Whom are you helping find a way into our church family? We're told that this deaf man could talk, but not very plainly. People who are born deaf find it almost impossible to learn to speak. But those who could hear for a portion of their lives and then later lose their hearing are generally able to speak, even if not as clearly as the rest of us. And that may have well been the case with this man. You see, back in those days, they didn't know about removing tonsils or adenoids to help clear up blocked eustachian tubes. And so this poor man may have become deaf, deaf due to uh, severe infections. People who believed in Jesus asked Jesus to heal the man. Mark gives us some very good details in this story. First of all, he tells us that Jesus took the man aside, away from the crowd. The same teacher who told us to pray in secret, not to be seen and praised by people, but so that we would be seen and praised by God, took this man aside so that God alone would hear his prayer and answer it. When you contrast Jesus' actions with some preachers and evangelists of our day, the difference is pretty obvious. Jesus wanted God to heal this man, but Jesus also wanted God to be praised for this man's healing. He did nothing for show or fame. Jesus was indeed very humble. But secondly, Jesus took the man away from the crowd so that the man would not feel like he was being stared at by all those people. Jesus deeply cared about this deaf man. His world of silence was confusing enough for him without him being thrown up on center stage into the spotlight, not really understanding what was happening to him. Removed from the paparazzi, the deaf man could relax and give all of his attention to God and Jesus. The next detail that Mark gives us is that Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears and then he spit on his finger and touched the man's tongue. What was that all about? Well, contrary to what you might think, if you think that touching the ears was the way Jesus healed the man, uh, or touching the tongue had part to do with the healing, 
Actually, what Jesus was doing was communicating in sign language with this man. By placing his fingers in the man's ears, Jesus was communicating to the man that he knew well what the problem was, that the man was deaf. Spittle was thought to have healing properties in those days, and we still think so today. The next time you cut your finger, see if you don't stick it in your mouth. It does clean out the cut a little bit, maybe not as well as soap and water, but it cleans it, and it's almost an instinctive reaction we have to go right to our mouths. Spittle was therefore a symbol of cleansing and healing in that day. By spitting on his finger and touching the man's tongue, Jesus was using sign language to tell the man, I'm going to heal you of your hearing and your speech impediment. As for the healing itself, Jesus looked upward toward heaven and prayed. Jesus knew where his help came from. He knew where his power and authority came from. Jesus sighed deeply. He inhaled a deep breath of air. In the Jewish tradition, God's spirit was believed to be God's breath. And the sighing of Jesus may well have been intended as an expression of his utter dependency upon God's spirit to work through him. After inhaling the spirit of God, Jesus spoke the word for this man, be opened. Jesus, relying upon God's spirit, spoke the word of God to this man. And God's message to us always has the power to correct us and heal us, to help us hear the voice of God in our lives. What good news this is for us, for we are all somewhat spiritually deaf. Each of us has various impediments in our lives. Someone carried us on their faith to Jesus, and Jesus has let us know that he understands our problem and that he will open our ears to where we can hear the message of God. And he will so remove our spiritual speech impediments that we will be able to proclaim God's good message of grace to others. May it be so. Amen.